everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 335, Comebacks and Cannibalism. to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was uh, not maybe as restful as I would have hoped for, but it it was nice. Uh Uh-oh. You're tossing and turning in your sleep, Eddie? You having nightmares? Or are you so excited about Blackburn Rovers in the past few weeks that you just can't sleep anymore? Things have, yeah, I mean, we obviously spoke about it Coming last week. Coming off the heels of speaking about it last week. Yeah. An, instant, an instant podcast boost. <laughs> yeah, since we spoke about them, they won their FA Cup match. So they're now into the FA Cup quarterfinals. And they followed that up with a, a big win against Sheffield United, who were in, well, who were and are in second place. So sort of slightly closed, like closed the gap to the automatic promotion places, but also maintained the gap that ever important gap to seventh. So with a season, you know, the end sort of in sight, it's becomes <laughs> more and more difficult. If they don't make the playoffs at this point, it will be fairly devastating because they are playing also some very good football right now. And there's a real togetherness in the team. It's always one of those things I think is tough though. People go overboard talking about like the t- like the togetherness and how much players like each other. Cause when you're winning, everybody likes everyone each other. Likes everyone. You know, like every team that's winning looks like they've been except best. AJ Brown. He hated people after the, <laughs> after the conference championship when he didn't yeah. have enough catches, but otherwise, but, but most players, <laughs> 99% of players, all of a sudden it looks like they've been best friends for life. And you know, all of those issues over not playing enough or being played in a, in a role that you might not really want to have. All of that goes out the window, but for the time being, it all looks, there's a nice buzz around Ewood Park, I'll put it that way. And playing Sheffield United in the FA Cup next round, right? Yeah. So, Which is a good draw, considering some of the teams that are left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the key was to avoid City and avoid United, and they managed yeah. to do that, which now, you would have said. Now, I, I was going to say, ahead. we talked previously that you're not as interested in the FA Cup because you prefer the promotion and the FA Cup does get in the way of promotion because players will now probably start to play and get tired and not be full for the championship matches. At what point, though, do you get excited for the FA Cup? I mean, if they get into the semifinals, is that then exciting? Are you then pushing and hoping? Or is it you don't care at all? It's a tough one, right? Because if you told me they're playing City in a semifinal of the FA Cup, I'd be looking forward to it, don't get me wrong, and I'd go to the match because it would actually be Blackburn's first ever appearance at the new Wembley Stadium. So since Wembley's been redeveloped, because last time uh, Blackburn played a match at that kind of got you to a major stadium was the League Cup final, which was actually during the new Wembley's development and so they played it at the Cardiff Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium, I guess it's called now. So I would go and I would enjoy the day out, but I would be I wouldn't be excited. I would just be expecting to watch them lose by five goals to Manchester City. You know, like that wouldn't if you told me there was a semi final against not United, 
or not City. I think that's when... Because even if you're going to lose in the final, making an FA Cup final is uh, is a cool thing. And again, I would go. Is it cool enough to not then get promotion? No. No, I mean, look, put it this way. If you tell me right now there's a choice between winning the FA Cup and obviously winning the FA Cup and getting promoted, it would have to be promoted. But even if you told me they, I could guarantee Blackburn winning the FA Cup, and you or and it would either be they miss out on the playoffs, or they make the playoffs, and I don't know what the outcome is. It's just booking a, a kind okay. of ticket. I would still take the playoff appearance. Like what about of, it, what about if they don't win the FA Cup and don't make the playoffs? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably the odds on. Well, I mean, it's not even about making the playoffs, right? It's about getting promoted. So the the highly likely outcome from this point, even though is not winning the FA Cup, not getting promoted. But you know, promotion changes the future of a club. Winning the FA Cup would be a neat achievement. It would make Blackburn a really hard pub quiz question 20, 30 years from now. <laughs> and it would get European football, which would be weird. And so it would just be a season of being destroyed in European competitions whilst being in the championship. That would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, but it's, you know, it's good. It does. It's one of those things with sports, right? I think a lot of people, and maybe this will be something that a lot can relate to. There's a lot of seasons as a sports fan where you don't really know why you do it. Like there's not a, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of reward for over the course of your lifetime. Let's say if you're lucky. 90% 90% of the seasons are unrewarding. You, you know, you live for those 10% where you get to experience what you hope for. And it's easy to forget how rewarding it is when you go through several seasons of nothingness and of disappointment that, you know, it's like a, you just kind of, it's a relationship where all the, the life and the spark has gone out of it. And then you you get this reminder of, of what it once was and why you fell in love with it in the first place. And this season, at least, for the first time in a long time, I'm actually enjoying. Sometimes I watch the games because it feels as if it's kind of some requirement that I made. You know, like I signed a contract when I was five years old and I've got to tune in for every match. It's now, a very one-sided contract. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is, it, most years it is entirely one-sided. But at the moment, it's not. And that's, uh, it does, again, it, it it reminds you, like England have done, say, in, in the Euros and the last World Cup, it reminds you kind of why you're a fan in the first place. And Blackburn at the moment, whilst I'm fully expecting everything to go catastrophically wrong in a short space of time, it's at least made me enjoy being a supporter for a while. Speaking, uh, I guess, in terms of support, Eddie, what's the worst loss you think you could watch as a fan before you turned off the TV? I mean, I saw... What's your, what's your supporter threshold? <laughs> there isn't really one because I would just, you may as well, you know, once the damage is done, you may as well stick stick it through stick through to the end. And I have watched Blackburn lose some matches by yeah. significant margins. 
So yeah, I I'm think sure. that's I think that's the English in you. I think yeah. most Americans would probably turn off when they full know like know full well that the game is lost or the match is lost. But the English in you will watch it to the end to to endure that pain. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe you pull off the miracle comeback and you don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to. I have think left. we for the match we're talking about. I think we knew. <laughs> Yeah, so you're obviously referencing Liverpool beating Manchester United 7-0 uh, yesterday. And we, we oh, I was that. talking about Bournemouth beating <laughs> Arsenal 2-0. Did oh, that oh, not happen? Left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all those Arsenal fans. I bet you there were a few who switched off or left the stadium, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have a general no Liverpool rule on the podcast for the most part this season. But obviously, that was a pretty emphatic win. And... It raises the interesting debate. Manchester United players have been receiving a lot of criticism from the likes of Roy Keane and, and Gary Neville. And it's it's that interesting American versus European mentality because there's no criticism of Liverpool for, as Americans would kind of call it, running up the score, which undoubtedly it is, like in the final few minutes when you're still scoring goals. I, United were playing so poorly at that point, I think it would have been difficult for Liverpool to not score goals. But... Yeah. The real criticism Three in the is, last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. The real criticism is, is of the United supporters, of the United players, sorry. Just n- knowing when you're maybe not quite at the races and knowing when you've been beaten and at sort of 4-0 and just shutting up shop and, you know, taking your medicine. And instead, they just kind of kept going on in the same manner. And, and then it, it, it ties their worst ever defeat. Um you know, it's it's a bad for a team where everything looked like it was going so well. I mean, it's impossible to say yeah. they're they're in the title race now. It's difficult to imagine a Premier League champion that lost seven nil in the same season. Yeah, I mean, how how quickly things crumble is this is this is the testament to that quote because, I mean, what last podcast we were talking about how well United was doing and. You know, maybe they can make a run and maybe, you know, with a few with a little luck up top, you know, they can be right in this race. And yeah, this is one of those stamps that nope, maybe you're not quite ready to be there yet. No, uh, and, and on another weekend, right? Arsenal don't pull off the comeback. Yeah. Manchester United do beat Liverpool. Amazing comeback. Amazing <laughs> comeback. Yeah. Look it's former 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 co host. Oh, he doesn't Sam even deserve mentions anymore. We're we're talking emphatically about that oh. win. I mean, look, it's they. It's an important win for them, and again, it's one of you know the old sayings of good teams win when they're not playing well, and pulling through in those tough situations is also a sign of a good side, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a team of destiny feel that things, yeah. I mean, already scoring coming back from two 0 down is impressive against anyone in the Premier League, even if it is against probably the worst team in the Premier League. And then, you know, scoring the winner in the 98th minute when there were supposed to be six minutes added on, that also maybe, you know, that kind of luck is really on your side. Not the best defending from Bournemouth from that corner either to allow a player all the time in the world on the edge of the box to kind of... God, you are such a hater. I'm just saying. (laughs) Any way you can, just chip in. Any way you can just just nudge in it a little. I love it. I have to say, though, I got... I got taken up in the excitement because I did have money on Arsenal. So I was invested in watching it. And I watched the entire second half and watched them slowly, slowly chip away. And I 
was even just, you know, caught up in the storm and jumped out of my seat and kind of half screamed when, when Nelson struck that and put it in. Cause it was a, like, it was nice to finish it that way. And just, he struck it so well and yeah. he just put it right in that side. And I, no, I, I was pretty excited. He did. But when you give, you know, a lot of times in football, what you talk about is the teams that win matches, right? You win the second ball, winning the first ball is one thing, but winning the second ball. So kind of after that initial header, after the flick on, after the, you know, and so from a corner to have all the time in the world on the edge of the box. I mean, there should be some Bournemouth coaches who are handing in their letters of resignation today, but it's, but I also don't know how I feel. Part of me does feel as if Arsenal are starting to look like that team of destiny. They're going to find a way to get to, to kind of stay at the top, no matter what. There's the other part of me that feels as if some cracks are appearing to show because Whilst it's a great comeback, they were also 2-0 down to Bournemouth. And you can <laughs> you can put the positive spin and say they passed that test, or you can put the negative spin and say that over the last few weeks, they have needed more luck than sort of good play to get the, get their points. And that might, with a long way to go in the season, including another match against City. So really, you know, we're talking about they can only afford to slip up once really it just feels as if maybe they're really kind of reverting to the mean almost hey look how many times the chiefs were down at half and came back and and prevailed and they're super bowl champions eddie so you don't have to be winning at halftime eddie you just have to be winning when the final whistle blows (laughs) now yeah true it's a different format because it's there's not a knockout at the end so it's not quite the same but (laughs) There's no playoffs where Arsenal can save themselves time and time again in the playoffs. But, you know, City produced a nice result against Newcastle, another team where things just seem to be slipping away from them. You yeah. Know, a season that looked like it could be incredible, and now it's just gradually. Now Liverpool is. <laughs> well, the combination of, I mean, Spurs are not putting up much fight for the fourth spot at the moment either. So, I mean, that's the interesting thing for both Liverpool and to a certain extent, Chelsea, who finally won on Saturday. If they can maybe talk themselves into the possibility of being able to catch fourth spot. And and speaking of Chelsea. <laughs> After one win, now they're already talking about starting to catch teams. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of Chelsea, uh, this was sent in by uh, Ollie, our listener who's also made an appearance at one point on the, on the podcast. He our in, listener as if like well, he's, our only listener. he only listens to us and he's our only listener. <laughs> oh, I don't actually, I don't know how many other podcasts he listened to. So we might be, I think we're not on the, a long list of podcasts that he, no uh, Bill just, Simmons. He's our listener, yeah, not exactly. yours. <laughs> don't even try, but he sent in, this was going into this weekend. So some of these, statistics are now well all of these statistics basically are inaccurate but it was uh premier league pounds spent per point so okay uh i think it's do you want me to guess okay who do you think's bottom so describe to me this again this is this is transfer sort of how their transfer spending converts into premier league points accrued so far this season okay chelsea's last yeah, I mean, by so Chelsea have spent 17.48 million per point. For context, West Ham are 
19th, they've spent 7.48 million bitcoins. So it's a, <laughs> so it's over double. It's it's a 10 million pound difference between 20th wow. and 19th. Now, in the top 3, yeah. are they big clubs or no? No. You don't get into yeah. any so the top 5, none of them are big clubs, which is kind of what Wait, you would expect. Can I guess a few of the top ones? Well, who do you think is the first big club? The most efficient big clubs this season. The most okay. Well, I was gonna say, is Newcastle at the top? Are they no. number one? No, no. Okay. They're thirteen. Um, wow. Okay. All right. So the first big club I'm gonna say is Spurs. Now Spurs are in eleven. United. So three point five one million per point. The the first big club in sixth is actually City with two point four. Wow. 2.42 million that's a that's surprising i guess they did it, they've it, won so much yeah so it isn't so, many so yeah the cost of a of kind of putting their squad together would be rather large but their recent spending has not been huge that's why i guess spurs and they it, haven't had a ton of recent spending and this also isn't factoring in wages right because that yeah. would be the other element to throw in but yeah so arsenal are just behind city so they are in seventh oh, at two yeah. point, 2.85 million. So who do you think's top? The most efficient from a transfer spend to points accrued? Uh, Trying to think of like a low club that's like somehow in the top 10. Uh, like Brentford or something? You got it, yeah. Brentford. Really? Often, often considered, you know, the, the money ball of the Premier League. They've spent uh, 1.31 million point yeah because they have a decent amount of points they're in the top 10 yeah no no they've they've had a good season uh so it's them and then and i mean they're currently they're winning at the time of recording we 15 minutes to go so by the time this episode is over they may have blown that but it means that their efficiency will have increased yeah. even more perhaps look at those bees buzz so i really quickly i didn't want to get back on that liverpool united match because in that match, you had three players record a brace with Gapko, Sala, and Nunez. And I said, that surely has to be the first time in a Premier League match that three players from the same club have scored a brace. It is, in fact, not. Now, I don't know how many times this has happened because it is nearly impossible to find the statistic. I would have to literally just go through every match in Premier League history and pick it apart. Because if you go to like highest scoring matches, they stop after like nine goals. Yeah. So I can't see with eight, seven and six the yeah. potential that, you know, they've scored. But it's the first time in the 21st century it's happened. Do you want to guess it's happened more recently than you think? Well, if it's happened, I'll even Premier... give you it's 1999 was the last time it happened. Well, I mean, if it's happened and in maybe Premier the League, only time, if it's happened in Premier League history, that's only since 1992. So, yeah. So we've so we're... 21st century, but 1999 was the last time. Do you want to guess the club that did it? 1999, Manchester United. Yes, Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. Yeah. <laughs> Is it true? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it was the record win for, right? It was 8-1. to one Yeah, so, so for a long time, that was the, the biggest win in Premier League history. So it wasn't the wildest guess ever. It was trying to think of 
and I can try and guess the players if you want, but I probably won't be able to do it. Go ahead. I think you can maybe guess some of them. Andy Cole. Yes. I knew that one you'd get. Dwight York. Yes. Two for two. Wow, this would be huge, Eddie. Can you get the last one? And I'll tell you right now, this is he scored in the 80th, 88th, 90th, and 91st. He had four, four that match. And Not until the, the 80th. So <laughs> I'd say it's two possibilities. It's either Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Teddy Sheringham would be my guesses. It's one of those two. Do you want to make a final guess on that? Is it one of those two? It is. Oh, <laughs> I think it's Solskjaer. It is. Oh, there Very go. impressive, Eddie. That's one of the more impressive things I've seen you do. <laughs> I mean, I was just naming Manchester United forwards. So, I know. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased that I've managed to pull as a non-Manchester United supporter. I'm, that you got every part of that thing. Yeah. You got <laughs> who it was, who they played against, and who scored. Yeah, that's some absolutely meaningless knowledge that's taking up space in my brain. So, <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was my weekend, in a sense, was watching all of that go on. You had a slightly more eventful weekend in that you attended a live sporting event. So, Oh, I did. I'm was... now a regular at the Color Guard Classic, which is the, oh, what do they call it? It's not the Senior Tour anymore. Is it the Champions Tour? I think it's the Champions it Tour, yeah. Champion store where Bernard Longer has just made a second career just raking in money on. It's insane how much money he makes. Um, But yeah, it was fun. So we did the same thing we did last year. Um, I had a ticket on the 16th green, which is a par three. And it's a really nice par three where they're shooting uphill. Um, And it's a nice, it's like a very small green with uh, surrounded by bunkers. And then the grandstands kind of surround about, I don't know, three quarters of the green. Uh, and we, I watched just about every uh, threesome go through. I think maybe I missed the first one, but I saw all the big players. Um, I saw John Daly, who looks awful. I mean, he, if you told me he was dead, I would have said how many years. <laughs> <laughs> but the best part about it was he hit it. He hit it like 15, 15 feet off the green, chips it to eight feet, misses the par putt, misses the six foot bogey putt, and then misses the three foot double bogey putt and triple bogeyed on a hole that I don't think anyone maybe bogeyed. <laughs> like otherwise, it was impressive. Uh, but it's cool to see how good they still are. So it's really nice as you can see that. And then you have to like kind of walk out of the grandstand to go to the bathroom and right next to the bathroom is I think the tea box for I want to say like I don't know whole seven or something like that so you can see them tee off as well and it's just so impressive just I mean they're like 60 60 years old 70 years old some of these guys and they're just still drilling tee shots like right down the middle it, it was cool it's fun and like the guys it's really fun too because the guys who I grew up watching are now mostly all on this and it's nice to be able to see them and just see that they're still really, really good. Like even some of them surprised me like Mike Weir. I did not think Mike Weir was that old. 
but he is because he's on the tour. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I guess technically you don't have to be that old to be on the tour, right? But I mean, what's is yeah. he in his fifties, my queer? Yeah, he... probably. Yeah. Um, but a lot of uh, Mark O'Mara, Bernard Langer, Jimenez, Weir, Couples, Furick, uh, O'Mara. The, the weird ones, right, are the ones who mix playing actual Both. PGA Tour or European Tour events with this. Like, that's a, yeah. that's an interesting approach. Like, I get why you do it, because you can play in more relaxed events. You probably don't have to practice quite as hard, and you can still make tons of money. And it's kind of transitioning to the less yeah. pressure play. Like I, I do wonder, from a mindset perspective, if they, if they get nervous. I can. No, I'm sure there's. They don't look very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, and then it'll be also interesting to see because some of them will have had fairly unglamorous PGA Tour careers, and then this might be, in a sense, their first chance to get big wins. Yeah. And then you have someone like you know Furyk or Jimenez and stuff, where this is really just an afterthought. Yeah, it's it's fun to like so. I know my role for being invited. Like I'm just there to bring the energy. That's all I'm there for. So like, as soon as I come in, like we're getting drinks, we're ordering whatever we can. Like I ordered shots and I don't do shots. So I said like, okay, can you just give me like vodka on the rocks? Like we don't do vodka on the rocks. I was like, all right, can you give me like vodka and club on the rocks, but really don't give me much club. And they're like, all right, we can do that. You know, like things like that. I'm just, I'm just there for the energy. So one of the fun things is they have, like a little internal bet in the grandstands where you can pick who's going to be closest to the hole and then how many will be on the green. It's like a combined bet. And everyone puts in the pool for each threesome that goes. And then if you like are one of the ones that picked right, you like split the pool with whoever else picked it. So we were hitting a few of those, but they, uh, they weren't, they weren't lucrative enough. So we started a side bet with these two other people of like each of us just pick closest to the hole, like one guy. And then we each threw in 20 bucks and then whoever won just won. And then we did this and then no one got on the green. So it carried over to the next one, but we all doubled the money. And then no one got on the green. There were like two on the fringe, which we said does not count. So then we rolled it over to the last one and uh, put in another 20. So there was like basically like 200 bucks almost riding on this last one. And we picked Justin Leonard uh, and he was the only one that got on the green or no, sorry, two got on the green and he was the closest. So we like the last, basically the end of the day, we just won like a decent pot and just took that and bought drinks for the rest of the day. So it's pretty exciting. I'm sure those other people enjoyed it just as much. Yeah. Well, so one like guy quality. just took out a wad of 20s and said, how many do you want to do? And just like threw like 15 of them at us. Nice. <laughs> and, I, and I just like gave them all back and just took one. I was like, let's start with just 20. <laughs> okay. Think about how much you could have won. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that you think you're rolling into the color guard classic fucking as a high roller, but let's relax here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like high quality golf. Yeah. And obviously, too. <laughs> what was, well, what was really surprising was before we had been putting on those bets, everyone was getting on the green. Like, there were so many times where all three were on the green and one was within, like, seven feet. And then I don't know if maybe the winds picked up a little or, like, something happened with the weather a little bit because it did get a little cloudy. 
that maybe that was just throwing them off a little, or maybe they were tired <laughs> towards the end of the day. You know, they're old past their bedtime, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. Or, or thinking about the, you know, happy hour drinks they're getting somewhere. So there's yeah, maybe other maybe. things are on their mind at that point, but <laughs> obviously, but we did get pretty excited about midway through about how good of a time we were having. And we said, why stop the excitement? Let's keep this rolling. So now we are all going to the live golf tour in two weeks. That's also in Tucson. Spent way too much money on a ticket that I did not need. <laughs> you don't have to disclose this, I guess, but I'm sure it will interest people. How much does a ticket for a live golf event cost? We bought the uh, birdie package, which was $220 a ticket. And, and what do you get for that? You get like, it's like a VIP tent over like at one of the holes by the green with like a DJ. Uh, you get, I think, three drinks included and maybe a food voucher. That's not cheap. No, I mean, if we just got a normal ticket, it would have been like 40 bucks. Yeah, but still, it's you would have thought. I mean, obviously, part of the criticism Live Golf received last season was for the fact that they would always talk about their attendances and they were giving most of their tickets away for free. And maybe that's the other thing you could have done because there's always these kind of codes you can add in for players. You know, you can add in like Bryson 2023 and the ticket becomes free. But uh, it's a, you would have thought that the Live Golf, considering money is obviously no object for them, that they would have, for the first few yeah. years, just focused. I'm just giving the Saudis more money <laughs> than they need. Yeah. But you would have thought they would have focused on making it you know, as affordable as possible. I guess the balance there is you want it to seem, particularly when you're paying for kind of VIP tickets, Maybe when you make them really cheap, people think it's going to be a cheap event, so they it doesn't yeah. interest them. So there is that. So the Birdie in. Shack is it says, party at Live Golf Tucson in the Birdie Shack, an open-air structure where DJs will be pumping music as you are surrounded by the golf. Three drink tickets included, and a Live Golf swag item is included. I can only imagine how – it must be like a gold Rolex. I bet you it's the swag <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> Just a ridiculous <laughs> swag bag. Like an iPad, like a Rolex. It would just be great. Um, I mean, we, so that is, that's, so ground passes are $30. Um, this is 180 but like plus taxes and fees and everything. And then there's two additional ones. So there's, oh, actually there's three. There's the gallery club, which is 250 Club 54, which is 550 and then you can play in the pro am if you want for seventy five hundred. <laughs> I mean, we discussed that. That I think is both a podcast goal for us to be in the pro am at a live event, but also I obviously would have slight moral reservations for <laughs> handing over seventy five hundred dollars. But yeah, it's it would be tempting. But also, it would kind of depend. You don't know going into it which live golfer you're going to be paired with. And if I end up with some guy I've never heard of, the $7,500 will not feel even remotely worth it. Yeah. 
So we'll see. It supposedly when I looked the other day, all the players are going to be playing in it, which I, I still don't know if they're required to play in every tournament or think, can they sit out sit out tournaments? I don't know. I think with the way they schedule it, because they've intentionally avoided key dates, you know, like they're not playing at the same time as the Masters or whatever. I think yeah. they are pretty much required to play every event. Yeah. So. I mean, so for instance, they only have, at least in the States, it looks like four from now until August. So it's pretty sparse. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I'm sure it will be, look, it will be from a podcast perspective. It's interesting content to get that. Tape. Who would have thought that I'd be the first one of the two of us going to the Live Golf Tour oh. how much you talk about it? Oh, no, 100%. <laughs> I thought that you would have been the first one out of the two of us to actually go to it. <laughs> that it's doesn't bad surprise enough. me. It's bad enough uh, Saudi Arabia is taking all of Arizona's water supply. And crippling the water in uh, Arizona with their alfalfa sprouts. But now they're taking my money as well. <laughs> well, maybe at least maybe there'll be free water at the event. So you can try and smuggle some out. Try and, you know. That's part of the swag bag. <laughs> you get a thousand acres of, of alfalfa land in Arizona. <laughs> you can try and fight back for the little guy. Maybe try and get yourself, try and get some podcast coverage. We probably shouldn't say this because they'll probably like research you and this will get you banned from attending the event. But, you know, maybe you should have a protest at the just right as it ends. though. <laughs> don't waste your money. Like right as the guy, the final putt on the 18th. And then, I just burn down the fucking birdie shack. Yeah. Then you <laughs> get your get your uh, get your your poster out. I guess the other major sport topic I have, Eddie, is the NFL. There's some uh, some moves being made. You have uh, Calvin Ridley has been reinstated from his year-long gambling suspension. And you have Derek Carr. Supposedly, I don't know if it's finalized yet, but pretty much everything except the signature. Uh, He is now a member of the New Orleans Saints with the contract being four years, $150 million, and $100 million guaranteed. I mean, it just kind of further cements the Saints as the weird twin brother of the Minnesota Vikings. Like they're just identical teams to me at this point, which is they've got some good players on both sides of the ball. And there's going to be games next year where the Saints look really great and blow a team out by 30. And then the following week, they'll lose to a a non-playoff team by 15 points where Derek Carr goes, you know, like 12 for 36 for 180 yards and four interceptions. <laughs> so he's just fully I mean, embraced. I think I think that's a pretty good upgrade for them at quarterback. It, I mean, they didn't even really have a quarterback, so almost anything would have been an upgrade, but... They had yeah. two. Well, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... I, I think there's better players they could have. I would rather have Jimmy G than Derek Carr. So... If you're telling me that Jimmy G would have been a possibility, which you have to imagine he was because he doesn't have unlimited landing spots, right? I mean, Trey Lance is probably a better probability. Well, hey, rumor has it Baker Mayfield might be landing on the on the Niners. So, oh God, what a what a cute that would implode the Niners. I would love to see that. They'll go. 
three and fourteen next year if Baker Mayfield's on that team. What I want to see more is if he is the third string quarterback, and that might mean that he plays a little bit at the beginning of the season, certainly preseason. A third string quarterback. What a drop that would be for Baker Mayfield. <laughs> but imagine. And I'm not saying that I think that the Niners necessarily will, but it's a, obviously a possibility. They then went on to win the Super Bowl. And so you then have Baker Mayfield, Super Bowl winning quarterback, but as a third stringer, you know, he then ends up with one of those weird careers that when you, when we'll read about it in the future, it will, the blurb will make like it Like Heisman sound, winner, Super Bowl champion. Number one draft pick, right? Yeah. Like everything will sound like, oh wow, he must be a he was a Hall of Famer, right? It's like, well, no, he was he was <laughs> he was barely in the league in his sixth season. Yeah, here is a scary thought, Eddie. The um, NFC South right now; these are the starting QBs: Derek Carr for the Saints, Matt Corral for the Carolina Panthers, Desmond Ritter for the Atlanta Falcons, and Kyle Trask for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is a who's not of quarterbacks in the division. Well, yeah, I mean, Derek Carr is definitely the best quarterback in his division, so he can at least say that for the first time in his career. Yeah, and that's a. Sl- I mean, I'm slightly knocking Corral and, and Ritter, who you know, who knows? They're extremely young, both coming yeah. off rookie season, so they might be great QBs, but their current body of work is not very impressive. Yeah, and the Bucks will sign someone between now and when the season starts. So they all, their quarterback situation will undoubtedly change. Will that be Jimmy G? Um, I mean, he, as I said, he doesn't have that many potential landing spots. The Bucks are one of them. It seems like the right kind of place for him to end up. Just Jimmy G in Florida. Kind of semi-forgetting he's even in the NFL, but probably living one of the best lives you could ever imagine. And also, I guess the one issue if you're him, and I don't know how seriously he will even consider this, and obviously when the money is on the table, you probably shouldn't be considering this at all, but how much would he, how much weight would he put to the idea of following in Tom Brady's footsteps? And so to have already been, yeah, you know, the backup to Tom Brady towards the end of his time in New England, and to have obviously had the whole issue that probably forced him out in the first place and then to be the one who goes and signs for the bucks right after tom brady retires you might think twice based on i don't want my whole career basically to have been like sort of tom brady adjacent which is what he risks or maybe he comes in and says i can do for you what tom brady couldn't well, you want a Super Bowl. When you multiple Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, so that's the other issue is the you know they're not going to be great because they're going to lose a lot of you know you don't have the Tom Brady bump anymore. You've not going to you're not going to have all these players signing on for one year in Tampa Bay because they think it's their best chance to win a Super Bowl. So you're going to miss out on all of that. And then yeah, you you got to if you are following in Tom Brady's footsteps to really have it be successful. You, you need multiple Super Bowls to try and say, I really proved something there. And that doesn't seem realistic. So, yeah, I don't know where he goes, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Now, you said not a lot of other major sports news over the weekend, and, and we don't 
talk about the NBA really at all, aside from our brief discussion about the NBA All-Star Game. I don't know if you, uh, you, you definitely saw the trouble that uh, Memphis Grizzlies star Ja Morant got himself into after being pictured out in a club with a gun. Uh, not really much to say about that other than it's just incredibly stupid and I don't understand how when you're earning the, the amount of money that they're earning how you are putting yourself in a position to be surrounded by that and also I mean a lot of people have pointed out most of the people he's with a lot of times people say oh it's his childhood friends and he's just kind of running with the wrong people most of the people who were out, he was out with were like failed NBA prospects. So it wasn't some kind of rough and rowdy group from his, his childhood. But his statement, which was, I take full responsibility I take full responsibility for my actions last night. I'm sorry to my family, teammates, coaches, fans, partners, the city of Memphis, and the entire Grizzlies organization for letting you down. I'm gonna take some time away to get help and work on learning better methods of dealing with stress and my overall well being. This is when we're reaching tipping, the tipping point on like mental health being used as a crutch for bad behavior. I mean, the only thing I could maybe say is maybe he's not addressing directly the gun incident, but the partying at a nightclub incident, and maybe he's overdoing it out in the club trying to relieve his stress and drinking too much and doing other things that probably is being test positive in a system. And that's maybe what he's talking about because it doesn't really make sense if that's his excuse for waving a gun around is that's how he like, I, that's how he lets go of stress. He just gets into a club and just waves a gun around at the crowd. And, and that, that, uh, that moment where the crowd is just freaking out running around is what, you know, gives him relief. <laughs> you're right. It doesn't make sense. I just think it's, I think now if you work in PR, and you get yourself, your client gets themselves into hot hot water. You just say, we need to throw a little bit of the mental health, sort of vulnerability, anxiety, depression into the mix here in your statement because it's the safest excuse to kind of ex explain most behavior. And I don't want to say this because I'm very sympathetic to people who have real issues. So it's always one of those difficult things. It puts, it does put you in a, in a tough spot to be critical of someone because obviously you don't know exactly what's going on with them, but it feels like, and we obviously, we had that one podcast episode, speaking of Sam a long time ago where we spoke, I think it was when we were talking about, uh, Osaka. Osaka. Yeah. Where it was like, <laughs> are, are we at that point now where just, this is, if you, if things aren't going well, you just say mental health and, and kind of hold your hands up and you can kind of get away with pretty much all things. seems like in the John Morant case, not that he's going unpunished. He's has, a, I think it's a three game suspension and I'm sure this is going to cost him lots of money through fines and probably some, you know, endorsement deals and endorsements. Yeah. But he's still an NBA I superstar. Mean, I, so who's not going to endorse him? You know what I mean? Like this is the issue. Yeah. Yeah, and that to me brings back the first point you made with like, why is he doing this in the first place? It's it's always we talk about driving and why are athletes still behind the wheel in any situation? 
and and this is pretty similar. I mean, it's you know why do you, like you're an NBA superstar? Why one? I mean, okay, you want to own guns because you can. That's fine. But first off, it's against NBA policy to bring a gun basically anywhere that's anything related to the NBA. So you really can't have it on you at any time to begin with. But then why? And then it's also illegal in Colorado to have it while drinking or being intoxicated. So I, I mean, even regardless of the rules he's breaking there. Why are you risking yourself bringing it out into public for no reason when you probably have personal bodyguards? Yeah. <laughs> if, if the excuse is you feel like you need it for your own safety, either you're paying for it. I bet you if he turned around to the Memphis Grizzlies. How many times in sports history has a, has a sports person su- successfully defended himself <laughs> against an attack with his own firearm? <laughs> so it's, the list is too long for us to run through right now. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Mark Wahlberg claimed he would have stopped 9-11, right? There's, <laughs> people are deluded. But I... I mean, yeah, if he went tomorrow and the Memphis Grizzlies might already provide him with some kind of security detail as it is. So it might already be in place, even if he doesn't want to pay for it because it's not cheap, right? I'm sure if as the face of the Memphis Grizzlies, if he went to them and said, I don't feel comfortable being out in public. I've reached a level of stardom that makes it difficult for me to go out, but I also do still want to be able to live something resembling a normal life, it's important to me, I'm sure they would instantly have three members of the Memphis Grizzlies security team with him 24 hours a day whenever he wanted. So there, yeah, I mean, there's no he, excuse. He recently signed a four-year, $39.6 million contract. Uh, per year, you mean? That's guaranteed, yes. Yeah. $39 million guaranteed of that with an average salary of $9.9 million. So... Oh, yeah, way it's lower. It's like you, you have the money. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm pretty sure that was his rookie contract, if I believe. So that's, you know, yeah, he's going to be making way more than that next year. <laughs> that was his rookie deal. His, his contract yeah. extension is a five-year, $193 million deal. So there you go. $40 million a year. So, yeah, there's... You got the money to buy a few security guards. Yeah. Well, not buy them, but. Exactly. No, literally, you can buy them. <laughs> it's true. He could, but yeah, he doesn't need to enslave the security guards. But yeah, it's, um, it's not a good way for the NBA to be making headlines, though. But speaking of guns, though, is this our way of transitioning to the, the latest episode of The Last of Us? In which some Oof. spoilers say it first before you get any yes. deeper. These are episode eight, the penultimate episode yes. of Last of Us, season one. Spoiler warning right now, yes. season one, obviously. Yeah, well, just saying, just in case in the future someone is listening, and if you've not seen season one, episode eight, now is the time to switch off until you've seen it. Unless, look, there's sometimes I listen, to, I will say, I sometimes listen to podcast discussions for TV shows I do not watch. I do too. And I have no intention <laughs> of ever watching. And in a way, it then makes me feel as if I've, yep. I've got all the knowledge I need about that particular TV show. I yep. kind of experienced Game of Thrones that way, I've got to say. I've never, I think in total, I probably saw maybe six episodes of Game of Thrones. That's a shame. And, but then at the same time, because it was just unavoidable, 
I think I need to know. I think I know pretty much everything you could possibly need to know as a casual Game of Thrones fan anyway, just because you had to read articles about it. You had to see it on social media and podcasts that I listened to discuss it pretty endlessly. Oh, yeah? Then what was Arya's direwolf's name, Eddie? I said casual fans. <laughs> I don't yeah, think... Any casual fan would know it's Nymeria. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. You might be over over overestimating the uh, dedication of the casual fan, although I, it's true with Game of Thrones fans. They are pretty hardcore. But episode eight, I thought it was good. One of the more action-packed, I guess it's either this episode or episode six, was it? And they're the kind of two standout... Five. Episode five, the two standout sort of action episodes of the series so far. Five or six, whatever. Yeah, you're talking about the 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 hole, the black hole exactly. emergence of all the... Yes. Yeah. With, I think that was five, actually. Because, yeah, this one with multiple deaths, obviously we got to see... The remarkable return to health of Joel. Couple couple penicillin <laughs> shots and he was back on his feet. Adrenaline. I am happy that I called out last week that he will certainly need antibiotics. <laughs> well, I don't think that was a bold prediction, but um, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty remarkable turnaround. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone is going to be the armchair doctor and and give their two cents into how long it takes. I mean, I'll just say, being in the microbiology department as a professor, it will take longer than 24 hours for him to... I, I'm assuming he has a pretty severe infection. That is not to say that usually after a day, anyone who's like taken antibiotics, you do feel almost an instant boost after that first day. But most people are not like wheezing on their deathbed <laughs> when they start taking antibiotics. So while he probably does feel better and it probably is working pretty efficiently in that first day, there's no way he's recovered that much. <laughs> well, my bigger issue is the speed of the recovery. And okay, you can put some of it down to adrenaline, life or death situation. I think most yeah. people probably, you know, that is going to give you a boost. No matter how bad you feel, Things are you're gonna move probably a little bit better, a little bit faster. It was you could have told me that first one where he sneaks into the corner and jumps on that yes. guy and kills him. You you could have chalked that up to adrenaline, and I would have believed it. From that moment on, he looked uh, he looked terrible. They just made him look really gray, but he seemed yeah. to move pretty normally. Fine, yeah. Dragged a body upstairs, outside, hid there. Yep. Hasn't eaten in like three days either, mind you. So yeah. he's running on zero energy. Well, as far as we know, maybe he ate one of those people. Maybe he embraced <laughs> the, the cannibal theme of the episode. Which, look, I mean, it's the speed with which Ellie put together that those bits and pieces of human flesh on the ground meant that they were eating people. I thought was also pretty remarkable. Because my conclusion, yeah, I thought it was just torture. Yeah, my conclusion would have just been, uh oh, they're gonna kill me. She instantly figured out they're eating people. I think the only thing I could maybe put together was it was hard to tell, but maybe they were in. I mean, I think they were in like part of the kitchen. Yeah, did they? Had and that big... was obviously the butcher block that yeah. was there. Like that's what you put like animals on to butcher them. But even how would she even know that? 
Like, no, she's, again, she's, the, the, the limits of what she does and doesn't know. She doesn't know what a car is, but she knows what a butcher block looks like. <laughs> well, yeah. She's watched every episode of Hell's Kitchen, but <laughs> she's, yeah, it was, she put that together pretty quickly. I guess you'd also say, didn't use that as the leverage she should have used it once he was threatening her. Maybe the smart move on the saying, I'm infected. I don't really know what you win from that. I mean, it bought her the second to grab the knife. That was the the only, but it's not going to save your life. If anything, it's kind of confirming. It's going to kill you anyway. Yeah, like this is extra. <laughs> you really need to kill me. I'm infected. Yeah. Like there is, I don't know why he paused at that moment in time to try and figure out exactly what's going on. You would have thought the bigger leverage would have been while you, but I, I'll tell people that you're eating people. Now, her only other point of contact is someone who probably knows that they're eating people. So, yeah, it wouldn't have, certainly knows. Yeah, <laughs> or did until he took a butcher's knife to the neck. <laughs> Gruesome end for that guy. Who did you know is Joel in the video game? Okay, so he okay, he's the voice of the yeah. Yeah, he's the voice of Joel in the video game. And what's interesting is they called him up and said, we have a role for you if you're interested. And he was like, yeah, of course I'd do it. And he thought he was going to be like a clicker. <laughs> oh. And then he found out he got to have an actual role and he was super excited. And, and uh, That's the thing you say publicly. But I bet you at first he was like, am I going to be Joel? My Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then once he realized I'm not Joel, then you say, I better flip this story. And I got to say, I thought I was going to be just an extra. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked the episode. And I think I'm starting to now judge these episodes, how I like them based on how intense I feel the entire episode. And then just kind of how, much after the episode, I'm just like, that was a doozy. And that one stuck with me for a little bit. I mean, as after that ended, it was one of those ones where like the credits kept rolling. And I was just like, wow, that was, that was a lot that, that was intense. And it's just, I mean, they are, do I think they're doing a really good job. So I've never played the game, but this is now another part in the game where Ellie is with David, who's the cult leader. And they actually fight off like a horde of infected in this point. And I think what this show is doing a really good job of, it's kind of not making it the same. So it's kind of like having the theme of the game, but it's investing more into like the human aspect of it and the relationship aspect. Because it's like, why would we show you this infection? Because you've already played it. You've already seen it. Let's do a different angle of like the same type of scenario. And I think they're doing a really good job in that, well, um, where they're focusing more on the human aspect and how psychotic and crazy people can be when put into these situations. Well, well that they do is, you know, the same in the video game. I think what it made sense to leave out them fighting up there. So in the video game, they fight off the horde during the time when they're waiting for the guy to come back with the antibiotics. That's the moment where in the video game you have this mm -hmm. horde standoff. And based on the way they've set up this world, it wouldn't make a ton of sense in the kind of middle like of winter. Where would they be coming from? Yeah. Like if you hadn't seen them already, unless you'd established that there was a town near, but like, why are they just roaming the, the forest on the off chance that they come across some of the few humans who are in that area? 
So it was a good thing to ditch because it would have just come across as inconsistent because then you're opening yourself up to the idea of, wait, oh, there's hordes everywhere. You've pretty much established before that they you, you were only at risk in major urban areas. And now you're... Did you say whores? <laughs> hordes. Although your risk <laughs> okay. of whores also significantly increases in major urban, urban areas as well. Yeah, I, I liked the episode. I thought it was pretty intense. Um, slightly unbelievable with the Joel sense that we talked about. But, um, you know, you see kind of almost like very similar people, but just in different scenarios. And you kind of have to, you know, tease apart which one is in the right, and which one's in the wrong. Because, I mean, David is a crazy cult leader who obviously looks seems like he's sexually assaulting his his followers. But then you have Joel, in the other sense, who is a terrible torturer and is just ruining and killing people for for small amounts of information that he clearly doesn't need to kill them and could just keep them, you know, tied up and hope someone finds them, I guess. But well, yeah, I mean, you can yeah, you can defend both for the most part, because I mean, the the defense of Joel would be you can they're going to come after him. And they that's evidenced by the fact that they've come after him in the first place already come after him <laughs> yeah so so you can understand why he thinks i cannot risk to let you go because this just this will come back to bite me it's the smart it's the thing you people don't do normally in movies and then you know an hour later that's the person who stabs in the back at the same time you can understand the, the kind of cult's perspective which is these two random people off in the middle of nowhere are killing members of their cult and so they can't feel yeah. that great about it <laughs> The deal sealer on which one of them is more evil was them driving home. Very end. Yeah, the drive when he says it's the fight bit, the fight that I like. That was the kind of okay. This is a this guy's a really bad guy, but we can continue to believe that Joel is a situational bad guy. Yeah, yeah. The attempted sexual assault will get you every time. Which (laughs) look, I mean, she's feisty. But losing a fight to the death against a small teenage girl, why, for starters, do you go on a, I mean, it's a classic movie TV trope but and video game, but why go on a five-minute-long monologue whilst not looking all around you? Like, he's just determined she's got to be this way. I will. I know that there's like a bar behind me and a kitchen, another room. This is could be where she's hiding, but I'm going to face the opposite direction and not take my, not keep scanning my peripherals. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he's a sadistic, sick bastard. But at the same time, I mean, are you going to risk this sexual assault while the literal building is burning down around you? Like. <laughs> How about you escape first and then and then do the crazy, disgusting shit you want to do? Because, I mean, I don't think he probably would have survived this because that building was like a minute away from yeah. just full on collapsing. So, No, and you would have thought you would have left the building and waited for her to come out. That would have been yeah. the, that's like the smart move is you would have created the one exit. I mean, she could have. He also said to her, like, there's no way the out. The doors I, were locked. It's like, yeah, but there's also a million windows. Like this is, but then she just opens the door. Yeah. Did she she have the keys? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Fire unlocks doors. So, yeah, I don't know, but she did brutally kill that guy. (laughs) Like 57 stab wounds. That was intense. A little bit of, um, 
Saving Private Ryan there, a little blood on the camera. Yeah, and they've obviously made that conscious decision, right? They don't show too much of the gratuitous violence like we have now. But they show her face, which I think is almost equally as terrifying. <laughs> oh, no. I you Yeah, I think from a directorial standpoint i think you get you experience more than you would have seen yeah. from just some weird prosthetic being stabbed multiple times and cgi blood everywhere so it's it's, yeah. it's the right move but it is interesting that they are notably choosing to leave out some of the more gruesome violent aspects but they did show a horse dying that kind of surprised me that was bullshit yeah and her tactics there terrible i don't know i don't know why she felt she needed to yell at them i don't know why you think that's gonna do anything other than make someone think she's trying to take us away from somewhere you know what i mean like hey guys over here the classic but i mean look over there yeah you're right but also why not get a little further away and then just pretend like you're fleeing the city. Because yes. then I would believe it. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, she's escaping. Yes. Let's get her. And Not, she, oh, shit, she's just running around the cul-de-sac. Let's wait till she turns back around and just take down this horse. Yeah. No, 100%. <laughs> yeah, she could have just ridden off into the distance. They saw her from 300 yards and thought, oh, crap, she's on a horse. We're not catching her. Yeah. I mean, yep. maybe they continue to explore the houses because they're intent on finding him. But... That wouldn't have made that much sense. You also have to be critical of the way they decided to exp- why split up and go one by one searching for this guy. Why, do you, why do you split up? Talk about a trope. Yeah. <laughs> even if you think he's on death's door or possibly even dead, why would you decide this is the best way for us to do this with no means of communication? Not like they got walkie-talkies or something. It's literally we are going to be all alone. Yeah. Also don't know why she didn't leave Joel the gun. Because she also had a gun. Why couldn't she take the rifle and leave Joel the handgun instead of a knife? It's a good point, too. Would have been a lot easier to defend yourself with a handgun than having to crawl into a corner, hide, and then jump on someone and stab them in the jugular. She she wanted to put him through the test. You know, she wasn't quite convinced. <laughs> you know, he'd been keeping the gun away from her for a while, and now this is a role reversal. You don't deserve yeah. the gun until you show me you can handle yourself with this massive wound to your stomach and also how to get the adrenaline rushing i guess in the end the knife would have been the move from a noise standpoint anyway yeah so he probably doesn't use the gun but you're right he could have left the handgun although maybe if you're her and you thought you were going to be in a full-on shootout and you only have a bolt action rifle and who knows how much ammo you might have wanted both. But yeah, overall, really good episode and only one episode left. Kind of disappointing. Yeah, no, it's been a good series. So um, so I haven't I haven't seen the preview for the next one. I have not read, you know, like what's gonna happen in season one. I think actually a lot of people don't know, you know, where season one's gonna end off. So do you think they make it to the Fireflies by the end of this season? No. Do they get to Salt Lake City? No. So my guess is, and I don't know, like this isn't, they, they've kind of diverted fairly significantly from the video game storyline to a degree. So I don't know. I would imagine they have to go back to Jackson Hall. 
Like, mm. I think there's got to be the reunite with the brother because he has to become a more significant character. So I think they go back there. And also you would think, cause he's, even if he has had this miraculous co- recovery, he's still pretty close to dying. So that's going to be a hell of a trip back without a horse. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think that's, that's probably the likely, that's what I would do if I were them. And I also, the only thing I did see about the final episode is that it's 60 minutes long. That's not a spoiler in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But this one was about 60 as well. Yeah. Because uh, I also don't know how many episodes, how many seasons they have planned. Three. For Three. That's fixed. For sure. And it's going to, and it's going to, I think so. And I think it's going to be the first two games. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I would say if I had to guess, they go back to Jackson Hole and then this is set up for the start of their trek to Salt Lake City. Otherwise, that's a lot of stuff happening in the final episode. Like that's a pretty action-packed episode if they sort of teleport they're pretty far from Salt Lake City. So, I mean, they're pretty, yeah, pretty far from everywhere. Pretty point. far from everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, just the seeing that little insight into the life of the cult did make me appreciate what they managed to do in Jackson Hole that little bit more. And yeah, <laughs> it still does make my major issue with all this is how little people seem to have been able to rebuild something resembling a decent life. Like they are going to a resort that has pretty nice facilities and stuff. I understand the winter was difficult. And so that's cut down on their food, but you would have just thought in general, they'd build something slightly less depressing than starving and listening to a preacher like that's i'm just heading off on my own if this is what life looks like at that point well i think a lot of that is actually being answered to us in the last few episodes because it looks like for the most part that everyone did go to the quarantine zones and was somewhat surviving in them but that most of them have either collapsed or revolted in the past five years or so because i think they said you know they've only been there for what a few years right if that i think they said it was 2017 when i think that's the year he said for when the pittsburgh okay so five years then they've been kind of on the road roaming around and now have settled here wherever they are yeah so i think that's kind of the issue that a lot of these places haven't been able to establish much is because i think everyone was just in those quarantine zones for the most part still i feel like I'm not exactly the most skilled out. You also have like the imminent risk though of like attacks at any time. You do, but they weren't doing a great job of dealing with that either. No. (laughs) (laughs) They were taken by surprise at pretty much every turn. I mean, at least Bill had traps set up. Bill had. (laughs) Look at what one man could do. (laughs) Yeah. And the same with Jackson Hole. They've prioritized. You've got walls, you've got lookouts, you've got everything. There, they've just got a bunch of really depressed people saying grace and eating humans. Well, Eddie, we got to finish on that question. Are you eating the human? Oh, 100%. If someone's died, I'm not killing someone to eat them. I mean, at a certain point, you would, but I'm 
if you're are you do you think you're able to keep it down that's i think my thing is it's one of those things like you know when you're eating something kind of gross and it doesn't even taste that bad but then you get it into your head about what it is and it kind of like makes you like almost want to like spit it out or vomit it up like is is that going through your head or is it being overridden by the fact that you haven't eaten anything in five days? Yeah, I think you're, if you're starving, I think you're just, you're eating pretty much anything. So if someone I was with had died of natural causes or been killed, and so it's just, well, that meat, that source of food is there and I, I can either let it pass me by or not, I'm eating. Now I will say, questioning final criticism of people's tactics in that episode when you are secretly feeding people meat but also that meat is only appearing when uh, people have died and then you're not burying their bodies slightly suspicious but then when you do finally also (laughs) kill a deer and you make a big deal about bringing that deer back into the collective gathering when they're supposedly all eating deer at that moment in time, it's like, wait, hold on a second. Why are we making a big deal out of this deer? Where have been the five deers we've been eating over the past few weeks? That's so true. Or do you think they have like a stunt deer that they just continually bring in? Like, got another. (laughs) We'll just one of them puts some antlers on and runs around like a hundred yards away. Look, there it is. I'm going to go kill it. Got it. Oh yeah. No, that was, yeah. That was, but yeah, no, I'm, and if I were in his group, I wouldn't have issue with eating. I would, like, if it's a family member, I probably can't do that. Yeah, that, that girl, she's going to have some psychological issues for a little bit. I think she's already got them. (laughs) She's probably getting molested by a cult leader. (laughs) Eating her father is the least of her problems. No, I think that would be. I couldn't do that. So that does raise the interesting issue, I guess, if you're managing the group. is like if one of my family members died, I probably wouldn't want them to be eaten, but I would happily eat someone else. So there's some – I'm a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to cannibalism. <laughs> but are you okay with other people eating your family members? No, this would be the problem. So I'd be like, no, 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 we're not going to eat them. Like we're not eating my dad. Oh, okay. But, oh, your dad. We'll eat your dad. That would be... <laughs> your dad was an asshole. Yeah. We'll eat him all day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'd eat him twice if I could. That would be that would be the problem. But no, I, I think 100% I would... And, and probably even in that situation, you'd, you'd probably... Because I think you'd just, as a group, be... Like, how long are you in a world like that before you're just all sitting around a fire one day and someone says... So if one of us dies, we're eating them, right? Like that's, I think that conversation happens within 72 hours. So then when someone does die, it's like, well, we did talk about eating Bob. We may as well eat Bob now. (laughs) Poor Bob. All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll uh, call it a day and go eat some lunch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did have an elementary school teacher who claimed to have eaten part of a dead corpse on a that's really gross yeah well he was a like a climber adventurer so and came across an already dead body on an expedition and and uh, ate it when in desperate need of food 
Was he in that desperate need of food? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. There you, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Let's, let's not reveal that guy's name. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, talk to you later. See you. Cheerio.